Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This is going to be episode number 26. It's a good number. Not as good as the next number. Yes, you are quite fond of the number 27 for some strange reason that I don't know why. I was born on the 27th. Were you now? I was. We wouldn't by chance be related to other people that might have been born on the 27th, huh? <laughs> uh, maybe my dad. And? And my brother. Yes. You definitely got some sort of a witchcraft around the number 27 in your family. <laughs> so you can find us on social media by looking for the user at Scary Savannah. So, Crystal, how have you been this week? I've been great. The weather's been great. We finally went down to the beach for the first time like this whole year. Yes, we did. And it was glorious. Got my first sunburn of the season. Yeah, and I turned slightly tan. Yeah, slightly tan. <laughs> Unlike me, who just goes from red to white. Oh, no, you get a tan by the end of the summer. Yeah, every once in a while, occasionally. One thing we'd like to do right off the bat is thank our new patron, which is... Savannah Marcione. Or Marcion, or please forgive us if we're mispronouncing your name. I'm not We tried to look up how to pronounce it, but we're not real sure. So if we're off, let us know, and we'll make a correction on the next <laughs> one. But thank you for signing up for our Patreon. And uh, we are going to have a new Patreon exclusive, our first, coming out this Wednesday, right? That's the plan. That's the plan. That's the rumor. Yeah, that's the rumor. This week, we are going to be talking about another vintage serial killer. Can you tell I wrote the script? Yes. <laughs> Always using words like vintage. So while Jack the Ripper was terrorizing London, the people of the United States had their own serial killer to deal with. Please let me read that again, but in a movie review preview announcer voice. Okay, go for it. While Jack the Ripper was terrorizing London, the people of the United States had their own serial killer to deal with. Okay, Batman. Where is she? <laughs> Known as the King of the Murder Castle, or the Devil in the White City, or you may know him as H.H. H. Holmes, or Henry Howard Holmes. That's how I know him. See your Facebook friend? Oh, Henry Howard. We call him H.H. <laughs> Henry Howard. Yeah. H squared. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be like cubed, because it's three. Cubed? Don't get silly now, Henry Crystal. That Howard doesn't make Holmes. any sense at all. Three? Three. Cubed. Nah, I was never any good at algebra. You know, when they put the little three, that means cubed. That's a superscript. Okay, I, I don't <laughs> You remembered something. I don't remember much. This story takes place at a wonderful time in U.S. history when the world was transitioning from the old world to the new world. Just like when Columbus showed up, right? This is after that. Just a little. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Electricity was just a few years away. Photographs were becoming common. Moving pictures had just been invented, and streetcars and the occasional automobile were beginning to appear. H.H. Holmes was charming and charismatic, both great traits for a serial killer. Hey, now, I'm actually both of those things. Are you trying to intimate something here? Never. He often exaggerated his own crimes, claiming to have murdered 27 people. But some of those he claimed to have killed were in fact still alive at the time. 27 people, you say? Yeah. You must know me. Apparently. He likes that number, too. There's no way to be sure exactly how many people he did, in fact, murder. Some estimates are close to 200, but the truth is probably far less. Somewhere between 27 and 200. You see, you got to round it off, and that's where the square <laughs> comes in. You got to cube it. You got to cube it. He was quoted as saying, I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer more than a poet could help the inspiration to sing. 
I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me since. He's a little dramatic. Yeah. Oh, very artistic of him. I bet he's probably done some spoken word poetry at one of those uh, open mic nights like I used to do. He probably did. But before he was known as one of America's first serial killers, he was born Herman Webster Mudgett. Not nearly as cool as H.H. Holmes. Mudgett? I think he was actually in that uh, fourth Harry Potter book, you know, the one where they killed the vampire and then they brought him back from the dead so that he could be Batman. I don't know. I stopped watching after the second season. Where is she? <laughs> I think if you want to be a famous con artist slash serial killer, you need a better name. But we'll get to that later. Does that have anything to do with number 27? Probably. Hmm. He was born on May 16th, 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire to Levi and Theodate Mudgett. Theodate? Yeah. What kind of name is Theodate? One you don't hear very often. Mudgett. That's definitely in the <laughs> Unique. book. In the book. There are conflicting accounts about his childhood. Some reports say it was pretty normal, though his parents were considered strict and highly religious. However, once his murders later became sensationalized, a newspaper writer claimed that Holmes's father was a violent alcoholic who smothered his children with chloroform to, quote, teach them a lesson and even locked them in the basement as punishment. Well, I guess they probably sold more newspapers that way because there is no <laughs> reason to let the truth get in the way of a good story. Never. Holmes himself loved to exaggerate his life story, so the truth is murky at best. There are stories that he liked to take small creatures like lizards and frogs and dissect them. The most disturbing story is that of his childhood best friend. One day, the two boys were playing on the roof of a building when the friend fell to his death. This was when Herman, a.k.a. Holmes, was about 11 years old. So, did the boy fall, or was this his first murder? I think we both know the answer to that one. Well, he was 11. That's very young, even for a serial killer to start. Really? But it's not unheard of. There was, however, one incident from his youth that did seem to have a profound effect on the future serial killer. As a boy, he was terrified of the local doctor's office because he had heard that there were dead bodies kept there. Wow. I guess the other kids knew this fear, and at age 13, a couple of other boys tricked him into going into the office and then locked him in. That was on an episode of a TV show we just watched, wasn't it? I think it was. And then, like, the funeral guy was, like, killing. It was Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, it was. No, yeah. That's kind of like how you just throw a child who can't swim right in the, the deep end of the water, right? That's exactly what it was like. And once he came face to face with a human skull, rather than being terrified, he was fascinated. But, you know, that's not how it worked out for me. Because in, I instead developed a uh, deep and abiding fear of deep water that sticks with me. To this day, <laughs> I guess I didn't have the killer gene in me. No, I don't think I you guess. do. My granny used to tell me the water was uh, so deep in some places that it was actually purple. And for some reason, as a child, that made sense to me. And I still fear purple water, although I've yet to see it. <laughs> Not even when we were on a cruise. I didn't see any purple water, but I did see a bunch of waves near a window. And that freaked me out. So Holmes decides that this time that he's going to study medicine. Now, this still doesn't sound like it's going off the rails just yet. Assuming he didn't kill his best friend. And speaking of that, I, I mean, I did want to be a marine biologist for about 20 minutes one time. So I guess in a way it does still sort of apply to don't me. Don't all kids want to be a marine biologist and then you don't even know what I they really do? Like, what do they do? I was like, you know, yeah. you're either going to be a lawyer, a doctor, a fireman, police officer, or a marine, marine biologist. biologist. <laughs> 
And you were going to drive a, uh, what were they? A Geostorm. Geo no, it was a Geostorm. Geo yeah, that was those, the cool those car. Were actually cool. Yeah. Back in the day. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't think I've seen one in years. Yeah, I don't think they make them anymore. Oh, I'm sure they don't. Geo's not even a company. As he grew up, his interest in medicine grew, as did his interest in women. Mm. At age 16, he meets a young lady named Clara Lovering. He first met Clara while he was doing some work on her father's farm. He ran into her again at a church social where she was flirting with another young man. Oh, that hussy. <laughs> Holmes didn't like this, of course, so he walks over and threatens to punch the guy in the face if he doesn't leave. Sounds like um, negotiation tactics. Yeah, this impressed Clara, and later he walked her home arm in arm. At that time, that was serious. Ooh, see, kids, all you have to do is be a bully, and for some reason you'll win. <laughs> Another thing that we don't have in common. <laughs> The next day, he was telling everyone that they were engaged. Wow, that's moving along pretty fast. I know. They did, in fact, get married when they were both just 17 years old on July 4th, 1878. Mm. They did this secretly and continued living with their parents for the first six months before revealing the news to their families. I wonder how they took that. Well, I think they had to because... Sort of like, oh, well, welcome <laughs> to the family, Junior. Well, nine months later, they had a baby, so... Welcome to the family, yeah. Junior, Junior, Junior. <laughs> So Clara's father got Holmes a job in his brother's grocery store, and they have a baby, little boy. Luckily, he grows up to be nothing like his father. Fatherhood sparked a renewed interest in Holmes to pursue medicine for some reason. For purely philanthropic reasons, I'm sure. He quits his job at the grocery store and goes back to the same doctor's office where he'd been locked in with the skeleton several years before. I feel like this is a supervillain origin story happening right before my ears. (laughs) He begins an apprenticeship under Dr. Wright. Clara and the baby stayed with her parents. Holmes then continues his studies at the medical school in Burlington, Vermont. While he's at the school, he acts as though he's a single man, even carrying on with his landlord's daughter. So it turns out he's a hussy. He is. He's quite the ladies' man. When a friend ratted him out to the girl's father, Holmes beat the guy up. So he's showing some violent tendencies here. This guy's already sounding like a loser, and he hasn't even killed anybody yet. Yeah, it gets worse. One day, the landlord's wife noticed a horrible smell coming from Holmes's room, so she investigates. What she finds is a dead baby under his bed. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> well, I don't think he killed the baby, but... He explains that he was uh, doing some dissection work as part of his homework. Oh, okay. Well, that, that totally clears it up. I bet probably they, you know, just handed out dead babies before the three o'clock bell at the college and told them, uh, make sure you bring in your homework by Friday. Um, you have to check it out like you do uh, a yeah. computer or something like that. Make sure you in the take day. good care of the corpse and just <laughs> stuff it under the nearest bed because, as we all know, <laughs> those are the most safe place to store dead bodies. Well, instead of telling him to get out, they just tell him to never bring a dead body into the house again. Oh, man. People were so gullible <laughs> in the 1800s, it sounds and like. How normal. That just seems normal to you, just uh, dissecting a baby under the bed. I wonder what that interaction was like. They walked in and said, okay, now I don't want to see any more dead babies in this <laughs> exactly. house, homes. And he's like, you're right. And then he like shuffles over and he like reaches under the bed and like scoots a bunch of other stuff <laughs> over and like, what is that? You don't need to worry. In 1882, Holmes decided that he didn't like the school in Vermont, so he moved to Michigan to attend Michigan University. Just on a whim. Yeah. He relocates, taking his wife Clara and his young son. However, the marriage is troubled. Neighbors report frequent arguments between the couple with Clara often sporting black eyes. 
Soon Clara had had enough and took her young son back home to her parents. The marriage was over, but they were never officially divorced. I actually pictured black eyed kids until I realized you meant that they're actual black eyes. <laughs> and I thought this no. story was starting to go in a completely different direction. No, no black eyed kids. Thankfully. Now that he's free of family obligations, he throws himself into his studies. He has an unnatural obsession with dissecting bodies. He loved cutting them up and removing the organs, something his fellow medical students described as unnerving. Mm. If this guy was into that so much that he actually creeped out the other medical students, yeah. um, you know he was probably really off the deep end. Yeah, I don't think they took their work home with them. <laughs> yeah, well, i got to take this guy's head back to the house. we got to look <laughs> in his nasal cavity. You know, it's very important for those uh, term papers. And during his time as a medical student, he would rob graves and sell the corpses for medical research. A fine line of work, I've been told. Holmes, who is still Herman at this time, gets a job selling books door to door. He sells the books, but then he just keeps the money for himself. Well, that's one way to make a profit. Yeah, he learns quickly how to make a buck. Also, while he's in medical school, he carries on with a number of women, even promising to marry one of them. This was a big deal to break off an engagement in these days. Was it as big a deal as maybe stealing a horse? Yeah, actually. Uh-oh. You could be sued Strung and stuff up for that. Out in the square. The woman complained to the school and he was investigated, but he denied that he had promised to marry her and he suffered no consequences for this breach of promise, but it did almost keep him from graduating. Ooh, that's some serious stuff. And he later did admit that he had broken off this promise. He also later claimed that he had killed one of his fellow medical students to sell his body for medical experiments, but the man actually didn't die until three years after this claim, so... He so didn't. why? I don't know. He was just sensationalizing his life at one point. So he did graduate in 1884 and got his doctorate from the University of Michigan. Okay. I guess standards were just a little bit lower back then. <laughs> so despite his qualifications as a doctor now, his main profession is swindling people. Wow. That's probably more entertaining. <laughs> he would get items on credit, namely furniture and such, and sell them and never pay for them. He did this for years and was constantly avoiding collections. Oh, you're looking for H.H. Holmes. I'm H.H. Bones. Well, he hasn't become H.H. Holmes yet. I'm Herman. Yeah, he's Herman Webster Mudgett, but he has all kinds you of names. You've done my card twice. <laughs> in all kinds of places. And like, if you look up the microfilm, they say, there's like so many lawsuits against him in so many different names. Some of them, they said, might even be him suing himself. That would be funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's like so convoluted. I can't believe that I let myself get away with that. It's like impossible to figure out what all he did. He was constantly coming up with schemes to make money. He once claimed to have invented a contraption that could turn ordinary water into gas to power homes. So what do you think this is? Ordinary water? <laughs> what happens? Did the law of physics change over his stovetop? I think it did. So he had this elaborate setup to show investors, and they were intrigued. A man comes to his house to see this contraption. The man watches as all the items in the house appear to be powered by this gas. He checks the meter and it's not moving, so it looks like Holmes really is powering the home with his magic machine. I wonder what it was. It was probably like a slide projector <laughs> and, and a, a bed, bed sheet. <laughs> Turns out he had somehow tapped into the city gas line and was bypassing his own line. It's pretty ingenious, actually. He's going a long way out of the way to steal money. Well, he reportedly sold the invention for a large sum of money. Don't I, know I how wonder much. how that panned out for the investors. It did not. Turns <laughs> he out. probably got a lawsuit about that, too. <laughs> he probably sued himself. <laughs> yeah. 
Another time he claimed to have tapped into an artisan well under his property that contained curative properties, kind of like a fountain of youth. He would sell the water for five cents a bottle, claiming to cure any and all ailments. That sort of reminds me of an Andy Griffith episode we watched. Do you remember the one yeah. where he said it's Connell Harvey's magic elixir? <laughs> but it was alcohol. Good for <laughs> what ails you and good for the heart. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah this, it was just alcohol. It was just alcohol. But it, it makes works. you feel better. It does. <laughs> this little trick was achieved by tapping into his soda fountain in the pharmacy. Turns out later... When the water is analyzed, it's just plain water. How'd they analyze it back then? They didn't have those fancy CSI machines. Well, they had chemists and they knew how to analyze water, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, they probably held it up in a glass bottle and they looked at it. (laughs) This is just water. What is this? This is just water. We got to sue Herman. (laughs) Like I said, he's a ladies man, so he's constantly involving himself with women who had money. His ways of swindling money seemed endless. To get away from his creditors, he moved frequently, changed his name all the time. And in 1886, he moved to Chicago and became known as H.H. Holmes. And that's definitely a pen name for a horror novelist. (laughs) It could be. Some claim that he took the name after Sherlock Holmes, but that book wasn't actually written until the following year in 1887. Or was it? I looked it up. That's true. Maybe his first appearance was 1887. Maybe Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stole his name. He might have. So with the upcoming World's Fair set to occur in Chicago, he thought this would be a great place to blend in and set about his business of swindling and maybe throw in a little murder. Just got to have a side hustle. (laughs) There would be people coming from all over the world. Chicago's World Fair that was going to occur in 1893 was a celebration of the 400th anniversary of Columbus discovering America. I didn't even know that the World Fairs had a Now that he's in Chicago, he sets up in the wealthy Inglewood neighborhood and finds work at a pharmacy owned by a couple with the last name Horton. The story goes that they were an elderly couple and that he convinced them to sell the shop to him. And it said that the old man was going to be dying soon of cancer, so she wanted to sell the business. Okay. But in fact, he was only a few years older than Holmes, and so was she. They weren't old. Okay. But instead of paying them for this pharmacy... They up and suddenly moved to California. Ah, moved to California. And by moved to California, it's implied that he killed them. Oh, I never saw that one coming. (laughs) However, this story is untrue. An investigation revealed that the couple was not old, clearly just a few years older than him. Yeah. And that they did not die until well into the 20th century and were still living nearby. So um, this was just something the press did to well, he should probably sell more papers. He probably should have sued himself over that one. <laughs> they should have. Regardless, Holmes is quite popular while working at this pharmacy. He charms all the young ladies who stop in to see the handsome young doctor. Some descriptions say that he had mesmerizing blue eyes. I know a guy like that. <laughs> but others say they were cold and that one of them was not quite straight. I know a guy like that. <laughs> you know a guy like that, too. While working at the pharmacy, this is when he meets a young woman named Murda Belknap. He marries her despite the fact that he was never officially divorced from his first wife, Clara. Myrna had been engaged to another man named Henry Graham, but he mysteriously disappeared. Probably got gassed up on some of H.H. Holmes' miracle elixir. (laughs) And they ended up having a daughter. I think her name was Lucy. At this time, he purchased an empty lot on 63rd and Wallace Street, directly across from the drugstore that he had bought from the Hortons. He put the land in his mother-in-law's name, so the creditors wouldn't come after him. It's here that he began construction on this infamous murder castle. I see that there's a quote here. Yeah, I want you to read it. You want me to read it? Mm-hmm. This is me 
Reading a quote. Okay. In an article written in 1937, the Chicago Tribune described Holmes' murder castle in this way. Oh, what a queer house it was. In all America, there was none like it. Its chimneys stuck out where chimneys should never stick out. Its stairways ended nowhere in particular. Winding passages brought the uninitiated with a frightful jerk back to where they had started from. There were rooms that had no doors. There were doors that had no rooms. A mysterious house it was indeed. A crooked house. A reflex of the builder's own distorted mind. In that house occurred dark and eerie deeds. This sounds a bit dramatic. I just assume that's how the writer had it play out in his mind. (laughs) This so-called castle he was building was going to house apartments, retail space, and a new drugstore in the basement. A laboratory and kiln. A laboratory. (laughs) Fancy. A laboratory or laboratory and kiln, which he claimed was for glass bending. Even though he knew nothing about glass bending. What is glass bending? <laughs> like glass blowing, I believe. Why do they use a kiln for that? Oh, we, sh- we watch glass a TV blowing. show where, yeah, they, you have to have a where they did that. Yeah, you have yeah. to have fire. Yeah, you do. You can make fancy stuff. But it's speculated he used it to get rid of his victims. Surely not. No. While construction is underway, he is always dodging creditors. One who was named John de Bru- How do you say it? Bruel, maybe? One who was named John de Bruel- Stopped in one day to discuss the situation, but he mysteriously died of what was speculated as a cerebral hemorrhage or stroke just outside after speaking with Holmes. Let me guess how he was diagnosed. People ran <laughs> up and he's laying there and then there's Holmes sitting over him with like a hastily thrown on lab coat. And he's like, ah, this looks <laughs> exactly like a cerebral hemorrhage or a possibly doctor. a stroke. It could have been either of these things. He was constantly hiring and firing workers and not paying them. So no worker actually saw everything that was being built in the house. He would like fire them on a weekly basis. This guy sounds so much like somebody we know. I know. You would purchase furniture on credit and then have it put in rooms that were not accessible. So when the companies would come to repossess it, they couldn't get it to it. Let me show you to the room where I keep the couch. <laughs> he purchased a large safe on credit and had it placed in a room. Then he had walls built around it with no doors. <laughs> when they came to repossess it, he told them they were welcome to take it as long as they didn't damage his property. So they were unable I to remove the him doing it like this. You're welcome to take it <laughs> as long as you don't damage the walls. Exactly. They said he was like that. Like he, oh, he did was. his hands a lot. Like, yeah. He refused to pay the architects of the steel company Etna Iron and Steel, and they sued him in 1888. He claimed that since the property wasn't technically in his name, he wasn't responsible for payment. He sort of reminds me of that lawyer in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh, yeah. In, <laughs> yeah. in 1892, he began to add a third story to the house, supposedly for visitors for the upcoming World's Fair, though it was never completed. Despite claims that he lured hundreds of young women who had come to Chicago in order to kill them, most of the people he killed were, in fact, people he knew. One of the claims is that he had gas lines installed in the bedrooms so that he could turn on the gas and kill people in their sleep so that he could later take them to the basement for dissection and cremation and glass blowing. Glass banding, <laughs> as you do. While he was still married to Murda and Clara, he takes up with a woman from Fort Worth, Texas named Minnie Williams. He somehow convinces her to sign over property she owns in Texas, where he starts constructing another property identical to 
his property in Chicago. Sort of like building a crusty crab right next to the exactly. crusty crab. You got to have options if yeah. you have to move out of town quickly. I mean, hey, he's a murderous psychopath, not a moron. <laughs> While Minnie's sister Annie is visiting them in Chicago, both women mysteriously disappear. Holmes later claimed that Minnie had killed Annie and that he had simply helped dump her body in Lake Michigan. But what happened to Minnie? He wouldn't say. Oh, all the details will be revealed in my <laughs> upcoming book, How I Killed 200 People and Pinned It on Minnie Mouse. So, <laughs> Minnie Mouse. And it'll be subtitled, 100 Ways to Fool Your Friends with Homemade Gas. <laughs> Perfect. So a lot of speculation is that he would get involved with these women, and if they would become pregnant, he would kill them. That's the reason he kills them. And he would claim that it was during a um, a botched abortion that he was performing himself since he's a doctor. Convenient. Yeah. And people bought that, too. Probably not. On the first floor of the building, like I said, he had his pharmacy, and he had a jewelry counter. He hired a man named Ned Connor to work the counter. He hired Ned's wife, Julia, to do his bookkeeping. Ned, Julia, and their daughter, Pearl, moved into the building, and soon Holmes and Julia began an affair. I told you he's a ladies' Come man. Come on, girl. You got to know better than this. <laughs> when Ned finds out, he leaves his wife and child behind and returns to Iowa. Not long after he leaves, both Julia and Pearl disappear. Uh, really? Sounds like there's a lot of disappearances going there on are. here. I he mean, just always says, oh, they went back to Iowa or they went back to wherever, you know, because back then there's no way to really check on where people are. Seems like quickly. somebody would be getting a little suspicious. You would think. They do eventually. Holmes, 200 bodies later. <laughs> Holmes then hires a young lady named Emmeline Sagrand to be his stenographer. Speculation is that she learned too much about what was going on in the house and Holmes needed to get rid of her. What with all his secret passages and kilns and Glass laboratories and all that. Yeah. He began writing letters to her family, posing as her, claiming that she had met a man and was moving to Europe to marry him. He even went so far as to send out fake wedding announcements. And Emmeline is never seen again. Holmes later confessed that he had locked Emmeline in a room and let her slowly starve to death. Is that true, or was that story made up by him, too? They say that they found, I think, her bones in a trunk in the house, so she did die in the house. What a monster. This guy is truly... Yeah, he's crazy. Yeah. In 1894, Holmes marries a third time, despite the fact that he already had two wives. Her name is Georgiana Yoke. Did they not have, like, public records then? Did they, like, didn't they have to have, like, justices of the peace or something? Well, he was always changing his name, so... Oh. You know... It's hard to track. Humperdinck, do you take this one? <laughs> During this time, he decides to fake his own death for insurance money. He goes to a hotel and checks in under the name H.H. Holmes. Then he goes out, shaves his mustache, then returns to the hotel inquiring about his good friend, H.H. Holmes. <laughs> That's like the story we saw where the, the guy faked his death for money and then he like went and he shaved his mullet and came back to his widowed wife and Changed his name, something yeah. really smart, like his name was Bill, and now he's Will. <laughs> yeah, that was and, Forensic uh, Files. We were totally not <laughs> the same person, and I know I showed up just six days after <laughs> that other guy, who was definitely not me, died. Yeah, it's not me. Um, when, when am I going to get my money? The dead man in the hotel room cannot be identified, and the insurance company finds the whole thing a little suspicious, and they refuse to pay. With the insurance company breathing down his neck, he decides to move to Fort Worth, where he had acquired that property from Minnie Williams. Now, I haven't mentioned it before, but Holmes wasn't working alone all these years. In order to be a successful swindler, it's good to have help. 
One of these men that conspired with him was a man named Benjamin Peitzel. He was a con man who regularly did Holmes's bidding. Ah, uh, so he's like Igor. Yeah. When this insurance scam didn't work, the men came up with Plan B. This time they would fake Peitzel's death after insuring his life for $10,000, which is a lot of money. Yeah, 1900s. I think, I think it's close to 300000 That is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The plan was to make it appear that Peitzel was killed in a lab explosion, so he'd be all disfigured. Yeah, I can already see where <laughs> this is going. Holmes would acquire a body, because that's his thing. Oh, know. don't worry. I'll acquire a body. <laughs> and he would disfigure it so it couldn't be identified. The money would be paid out to Peitzel's wife, and she would give some of the money to Holmes. This sounded like a foolproof plan to Peitzel. It always does to the flunky. <laughs> After getting everything in order, they put the plan into action. What Peitzel didn't know is that Holmes had no intention of switching the bodies, and in fact, dun, he, dun, dun. he later admitted to killing Peitzel with chloroform and then burning his body. So this is according to Holmes, so we don't know what he actually did to him, but he did kill him. He told Peitzel's widow that her husband was alive and was hiding out in London. She gave him, um, I think, $7,000 out of the 10000 Oh. So he got the most of the money. For some reason, she also agreed to let him take three of her five children to go visit their father. Okay. And why he did this makes no sense. I don't know why he did it, but he did. He took three of the children and he went to Canada. He went all over the place. He he went to Canada for some reason. And he placed the two girls, Alice and Nellie, into a trunk. He cut a small hole in the trunk and then he ran a gas line and killed the girls. What a pure evil monster. And for no reason. There was no money involved. Well, or clearly this guy was just a evil psychopath. Well, it seems like he was usually killing to like cover up something, get rid of a pregnancy, get money. It was never like I just well, that enjoy mean killing. That he didn't enjoy well, I guess doing so. it, even though he had somewhat of a reason yeah. in the previous. After the girls died, he buried them in the cellar of his rental house in Toronto. He then used drugs to kill the little boy, Howard, before cutting up his body and burning it. Police later found teeth and bits of bone in the chimney of the rental home. His crime spree finally came to an end when he was arrested on November 17, 1894, in Philadelphia. He had an outstanding warrant in Texas for, of all things, horse theft. You know they take that seriously in Texas. You don't mess with horses in Texas. Police discovered the bodies of the Peitzel children and their father, and he is put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel. I certainly hope that they stuffed him in a crate and pumped in a bunch of his homemade gas so that he could see what it felt like. Not quite. While he's in prison, I told you he confessed to 27 murders and six attempted murders, even though some of these alleged victims were not dead. He sold this story to the Hearst newspaper for $7,500, which is approximately $260,000 today. So this is why he's exaggerating. He probably knew all along he was going to be trying to sell his story if the situation arose. Maybe. So he's still swindling, and I think that he was wanting to use the money to um, get a defense, and he wanted he was getting an appeal and all this stuff, but all of his appeals got denied very quickly, as you know, back I then. I imagine so. Because back then, they just like find you guilty and execute you in two months. They don't give you a chance to, you know. Well, I guess sometimes the system works. <laughs> he was convicted of murdering only one person. That was his friend and business partner, Benjamin Peitzel. He was sentenced to death by hanging, which was carried out on May 7th, 1896. It was said that he was calm and unafraid on the day of his execution. He delivered a two-minute long statement. His only request that he was to be buried 
and they call it double buried. So he's like twice as far down, 12 okay. feet instead of six feet. All right. And that his coffin be covered in concrete to prevent his body being dug up and used for medical experiments. Wow. He must have thought there were other maniacs out there like him that went in the graveyards and dug up bodies. Yeah. It was said that there were um, people wanting to buy his brain for science and stuff. So he did not want that to happen. Oh, I hope somebody did. They didn't. Because he deserved it. (laughs) There were rumors that he bribed the jailers to switch him out with another prisoner and that he actually escaped death that day. I find that highly unlikely, though. Yeah. His descendants, remember he had a son and a daughter that we know of that survived and became productive citizens. Their descendants put this rumor to rest in 2017 when they had his body exhumed and his DNA tested. The results were that it had to be either Holmes or a relative. So that's pretty definitive because who else would it be in there? That's Unless a he good had a brother point, that no one knew. Yeah, maybe he did. <laughs> maybe he did. I know he did have a brother, but I don't know where he was at this time. So, like most of the stories we cover, this one is steeped in legend and exaggeration, and it's likely the true story of Herman Mudgett, aka H.H. Holmes, will never be known. So, you know what that means. It's time for insert graphic here. What What we're we're watching. watching. So, since my abysmal track record of selecting movies sort of handcuffs me from picking, Crystal got to go with another selection this week. And I'm not sure if she needs her privileges revoked or not, because I'm not sure of what to even think of this one. She told me it was supposed to be a comedy horror, but this one was definitely heavy on horror and pretty light on the comedy. Sorry, I just was going by this list I found on the top 10 comedy horrors on Shudder, and this is one of them, so sorry. What we watched was the 2016 British comedy slasher horror film, Prevenge, and I kind of misread when I was looking at the uh, explanation of what it was about, because I didn't have my glasses on, so it was not what I thought it would be. It sure wasn't the martini, we know that But at least, no, I just didn't have my glasses on. Hey, at least this one was in English, Exactly. British English. Yeah, I couldn't understand half of what they were saying, though. I almost had you turn on the closed Yeah, there were moments where I couldn't understand it. Like, at the beginning, I actually thought it was a different language when she walked into pet shop, and the guy was like, hey, all right, get down and get over here with these little right blokes. <laughs> exactly. So we'll sum this one up for you. The movie focuses on a lady named Ruth. She's pretty far along in a pregnancy. The movie opens with her in a pet store, like you said. Mm-hmm. She's looking for a special pet, she tells the store owner. They find one, and she asks if it's dangerous, to which she replies, yes. Oh, yeah, she's dangerous. And then she goes full slasher for no apparent reason. At least that's what it felt like. (laughs) As a matter of fact, the plot of the movie takes a long time to develop. You eventually find out that her partner died in a climbing accident, and she's out seeking revenge. She's compelled by her unborn child to do it, or so it seems. She's on a mission to hunt all involved in her partner's death. Well, I'm actually just sort of scratching my head about this one because maybe I'm just not cerebral enough to understand it. But the ending was crazy, though. And I was thinking about maybe going on to Google and trying to figure out what in the world was happening. It seemed pretty clear to me. It's not like existential or yeah, anything. That's because you're really smart. <laughs> that's that's really why. So, Crystal, we've watched this movie. What is your view on a scale of one to 12 arbitrarily chosen dog treats and why? I think I would give it five because, um, first of all, you know, my runtime, hour and a half. It felt really long to me. There were parts of it that felt long, but I liked it okay. 
it was well acted, I think. And it was a, sort of an interesting concept. I just don't like necessarily where it went. I think it could have been funnier and a little less. Because parts of it were funny. Yeah. They could have played it a little better. And I think it could have used some editing, like a review. Like someone go back and rewrite it and redo it. And then maybe I'd just like it like better. Just make an entire different yeah, movie. Yeah, just make a new movie and change it entirely. And then I'll give it more stars. And then you'll get a six and treats. a half out of 12. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't recommend it. And if you want to watch something that was good this week, we've been watching Ghosts on CBS. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, watch that instead. If you want to watch something recommended by us this week, don't watch Prevenge on Shudder. Although we still love Shudder. I love Shudder. Shudder, <laughs> don't listen to her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> so watch Ghosts. Okay, so my review on this movie is I'm going to give this one a four out of 12 dog trees. Oh, you hated it then. I didn't really like it. You know what I like the best about it? The soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It had some really funky you music. You did. On it. You were shazamming the whole time. I was, and it was like really funky. A lot so of bass it was worth watching. For it even that. had vehicle on it. Oh yeah, I love that song. Yeah, I love that song. So it was good, you know, for you to shazam a few new songs. It's really the only reason I'm giving it a four out of twelve. It's not that it was a bad movie yeah. it's just i don't really care for slasher movies and it wasn't slasher it in wasn't sense. slasher like, like it wasn't jason slasher Voorhees like Freddy, slasher yeah although and the humor in it was really a very subdued dry kind of humor but it was like very like one-linery kind of oh, humor the, the part with the old lady was funny when she was like the yeah. lady with dementia and she comes out and she's like the guy's dead on the floor, and she's like, "Oh man, I've got to get the wash going." I'll the wash, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, get you in bed, Martha." Yeah, it was that was funny. It there was, was a few funny, funny parts, but it wasn't funny like funny funny. No. It was just like, uh huh. You know, <laughs> it didn't make you laugh out loud. It didn't make me laugh. The movie felt like it was three hours long to me, but that was probably just because I'm not really into that. And it was kind of funny that her baby was talking to her. Yeah, the, the way the baby's voice was kind of funny. Yeah, and we'll just ruin it. It wasn't the baby. After all, she was just crazy. Well, I guess they ain't going to watch it now. They weren't going to watch it. I Go would. watch Ghosts. Yeah, I told you not to watch Don't watch <laughs> it. It ain't worth watching. Maybe it's better than I remember it. It's know? not. So that's going to bring us to Layla, Layla and, and Coffee, Coffee Talk. Talk. So, Crystal, tell me what the beasts have been up to this week. Well, Coffee has been helping me paint. What a great you know. dog. Yeah, we'll show you a little picture. Um, I've repainted the picnic table outside pink because it was like all fading and chipping and she had to help and she got herself a little painted too. So she's looking cute and pink. Pink dog. What did Layla do this week? She ate a sub. She loves subs. She was threatening me. Yeah. like She we- showed up when I had a <laughs> sub. We were watching the Braves game. They're actually playing the Cubs. You know, I'm only wearing this hat because yeah, the story is in Chicago. Summer. I'm actually a Braves fan. But I do like the Cubs, too. He bought the hat because it's cool looking. It is that's very, the only reason he very bought cool it. cool hat. And also, this story's based in Chicago. So, that's what, what we're doing there. Anyways, I was sitting on the couch watching baseball. And then the dog on one side and the dog on the other side. And then Layla starts getting like... Yeah, she, she loves subs. Me. She She told me that I was going to give her the sub. She likes to share. And then she looked at you and she's like, Mommy. Yeah, she's him. like, tell him to give me some tell sub. Tell him before I had to hurt him. <laughs> Please, Hammer, don't hurt him. <laughs> And then she'll like start scooting towards you and like, then you can hear her tail wagging on the floor. Like she tries all her different tactics. Yeah. So you can find us online at scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can find us on all social media platforms by looking for the user at Scary Savannah. We actually have a new 
episode Patreon only that will be available as this episode drops. If not, it'll be the Wednesday following this episode's drop. And we're going to be releasing new Patreon exclusive episodes every single week. And we're going to have a series about cryptids from A to Z. What's a cryptid? You'll find out if you (laughs) subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah, you got to subscribe to find out. Do that at patreon.com forward slash scary savannah. And for as little as $3 a month, you'll get even more content from Scary Savannah and beyond. And please don't forget to buy Crystal a coffee because she's highly addicted to coffee. I think this is like the fifth coffee I've had today. Yeah. Can you taste, sound, and fuel See, I had a bulletproof coffee, and then I had some of your bulletproof coffee, then I've had this coffee, and then then I've had had a five-hour energy. energy Or two. Yeah, I had two of those, and I've had two of these, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty wired. She'll probably be sanding, you know, the stairs around 3 a.m. while I'm trying to sleep. It'll be the best time when everybody's stairs, asleep. You know, just painting the stairs. <laughs> Coffee you want to get the up. stairs. Okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and if you'd like to do that, then please look down at the bottom left-hand corner of your web browser on our website, and you can click on that and buy her a coffee, and it will be greatly appreciated. If you'd like to leave us a message for us to listen to or respond to or even play on the show, if you go to our website, look at the bottom right-hand side of the screen, you'll see a little microphone. And if you click on that, you can send us a message and we'll listen to it. Or if you like, we could even play it on our show. You can give us a call at 912-406-2899. That's 912-406-2899. If you know anything about this story that we may have missed, we'd love to hear it. Oh, it was a hot mess. Trust me. There's a lot of different things that could be. If you are, in fact, H.H. Yeah. <laughs> H. Holmes and somehow managed to escape the grave. There's even a claim that he was Jack the Ripper. That's how crazy the story is. he started gets. that claim. Yeah. And then he probably sued himself for libel. When <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Please visit our store to get some awesome, scary Savannah and Beyond merchandise. If you go to our website, there's a tab for the store. Also, very important, you can enter our April merchandise giveaway, which will go through the entire month of April. In our first episode in May, we will announce the winner. All you have to do is go to our website. There'll be a tab that says giveaway. Click on that. It'll take you a place where you only have to answer three very simple, easy questions. Then you go and comment and like whatever our latest video on YouTube is and say, I entered with your comment. And then you're entered to win completely free either our original scary savannah and beyond coffee mug in yellow or black or the new and improved layla and coffee (laughs) talk coffee mug that crystal loves so much so cute or you will get a t-shirt in your choice of size and color and we would love to have people signing up for that also a new thing we've got there's a tab on our website says ask us anything if you click on that you can ask. We'd love to get questions. It don't even have to be about the show. It can be about the area. If you have any questions yeah. about Savannah or if you have questions about ghosts or how Crystal gets her hair so pretty. <laughs> and we're going to do a question and answer uh, episode yeah. at some point. We would love to. Or you want to ask us about the dogs. Yeah. You know, we'd love to hear that too. So please drop us a line on that. Make sure to check out our YouTube page and look us up because this is a video podcast, not just audio. And you'll get to see these cool pictures that we posted throughout the episode. Just go to YouTube and search for Scary Savannah and Beyond. Please like and subscribe to us there. And we would ask you to please, in your podcast player of choice, 
whether or not it's video, if it's audio, we would love for somebody to leave us some five-star reviews. <laughs> and if you do, send us a message through our contact page saying, I left you a five-star review and I will have a couple of stickers mailed right to you absolutely free as a token of our gratitude. Yeah, you'll make me mail them out. I will have some people. <laughs> it's absolutely no trouble for me whatsoever exactly. to have someone else do it for me. <laughs> so I believe that's just going to leave the one last thing. Join us next time in Savannah, where the ghosts and the good times live on. But you know who don't? H.H. Holmes, according to genetic genealogy. Ah, but genealogy <laughs> lies. DNA doesn't lie. Okay, man. <laughs>